This is the Leeds Business Podcast, and I'm your host, Phil Fraser. I'm a business sounding board. Think somewhere between a business coach and a business mentor. If you're a business owner and you're feeling lonely at the top, give me a call. I can help. In this week's episode, we speak to Alex Craven, CEO and co-founder of The Data City. Alex tells us about the launch of his first business, Bloom Agency, which was one of the first digital businesses in the whole of the UK, and talks us through what he describes as a mind-bending receivership meeting. Alex then proceeds to tell us how and why he got rid of 385 of his 400 clients, and then the huge growth triggered by the 2008 financial crisis. Alex also teaches us the harsh lessons learned in selling a business. To make sure you never miss out on every episode of the Leeds Business Podcast, sign up to our priority list at www.leedsbusinesspodcast.com. Everyone that signs up gets a free gift to help their business. So, let's get into what is a really entertaining and thought-provoking interview. My guest today is Alex Craven, co-founder and CEO of Data City. Morning, Alex. Good morning, Phil. How are you doing? I'm good, thanks. How are you? I'm I'm good. I'm good. Great to have you on. Um, let's start the uh, let's start the business journey back in what was it 1999 when you launched uh, Bloom Agency. Tell us how that came about. So uh, I didn't know it then, but I'm ADHD, uh, and I'm just going to leave that hanging there because it explains a lot of my um, life. I only got diagnosed just before we went into uh, lockdown, but essentially. The, the sort of short story is I was working for a packaging firm in a postgrad uh, role and um, I landed the biggest contract they'd ever secured, about 20% of their turnover. And it was run by um, Bournemouth and Christians, who have nothing against, but uh, when I walked in with a purchase order, uh, the purchase order was taken from me, not a word was said to me, and uh, they off, off they went to pray uh, to thank uh, God. And then... Um, uh, and then I got really ill a few days later. Um, and when I came back to the office, uh, they docked my salary. And I basically was not happy with the simultaneous lack of appreciation of my efforts uh, combined with docking my salary. And I went to the pub on a Friday night and the internet was kicking off. And we had quite a lot to drink. And by the end of that, I had persuaded my uh, girlfriend's brother at the time, who was a techie, and one of my other mates who was creative, that we should start a web design agency. Um, so we did. Um, and the rest, as they say, is history. There's, there's a bit more to it. We, we ended up joining forces with another friend of mine's uh, brother who was starting a company called Bloom, um, selling IT training courses. And then we started selling websites to that client base. Uh, we got a small amount of angel investment, launched an SEO agency in 2000, and 2000 actually. Uh, very early, sort of, you know, this is very early in the in the, in the days of the internet where we were, I don't know, maybe one of 50 web design agencies in the UK. We were about the fifth SEO uh, proposition to, to launch. Um, and we had nearly 400 clients 18 months later, um, 29 people, uh, and off we go. Do you, want, do you want the whole story? I just have to add in there that actually one of those four hundred clients, I think, at that time was us. We were, I think, we were one of your, we were one of your, one of your first clients. Um, so go on, give us, give us this slightly longer version of all of that, then. Yeah. So the, I mean, the journey from there is um, uh, 
long and painful. So we had a um, our angels push. I, you know, I was I was twenty three when I started Bloom. I, I didn't have a clue what I was doing. Right, let's let's be honest. Um, angels pushed us into. Uh, we were growing massively, but uh, burn rate was high, and then they basically constantly overrode our concerns about running out of cash to the point where they turned around and went, oh, um, it was their accountant. Um, we've overlooked the VAT payment and we can't make it. So um, we're putting you into receivership. Wow. When what? So what, what sort of timeline are we looking at then? Where? 2005. And, uh, 2005, 2006. Um, and that was quite an extraordinary experience because uh, I didn't really know what receivership was. Um, and... What actually happened was completely mind-bending. So um, the administrator comes into the office, you sign away your company, um, they take ownership of it. I'm sat in a board meeting at the end of the day. This is all done after the staff have gone home so that they won't know what's going on. Um, and as soon as the um, my our investors signed that document, the receiver turned around to the room and he said to my investor, I, I won't name, um, You've done this too many times, and uh, I'm not letting you do it again. Uh, if you proceed with this course of action, I, I will report you to company's house, and I will make sure you are struck off all your directorships. And I, I was on my own going, well, what is happening? And so the tone of the room really goes weird, um, and I'm asked to leave, to sit outside my own boardroom, for about three hours from something like that in the dark at night without a clue what was going on and then um eventually i'm invited back into the boardroom uh, as my investors leave uh, who shake my hand and wish me well in the future so that was really weird like okay and basically what they started off by saying was look don't worry alex we'll put you into receivership we'll take you out of receivership you can have a small stake in your company I think they were offering me 20% between me and my other two co-founders. Uh, and then we'll uh, sack off all this debt, you know, strip the company down and carry on. Um, what happened when I went back in the room was, right, Alex, um, would you, do you think this is, business has got a future? Yes. Uh, have you got any, I said, his actual words where I remember this, he says, I, I assume you're not a man of means. <laughs> <laughs> That is a, a very correct assumption, you know, I have, you know, student loans and an overdraft and all this stuff. He said, right, can you pay me? I think it was £45,000 out of the tra ongoing trading of the business over the next 12 months. If you can, I will give you 100% of this company back today. And I walked out of that room with 100% of the company when I went in thinking I was going to get walk out with 20%. Wow. Uh, and we took on all the debt and we paid it paid it all back um bar a couple of couple of bits i really tried hard to pay it all back it was it, but it was really hard work i mean it was cash flow wise it was horrific for the next 18 months but we traded through it um and uh during that period i'd been introduced to a mentorship scheme through uh, investors in people and uh, uh they were introducing me to you know like a business mentor who I'd met, I really like working with a really, really um, stand up, very straight, uh, trustworthy, which was exactly what I needed right then, guy who I basically said, right, 
I don't need a mentor. What I need is a chair and a director who's got equity in this company, who's going to make sure we never go through that again. So I brought him on board, a chat called Brian Wadsworth. Um, and I would say my sort of proper business career started then. You know, I'd sort of been making up as I went along. But then Brian sat me down and showed me how to do business planning, how to, you know, what performance management looked like, sort of, you know, the academic sort of study of business um which I found really interesting, uh, liberating, and you know, acquired a tool uh, kit of skills that have you know I've seen me see through since then. So we, you know, we um, took some big decisions on the back of that. You know, we we fired. We had four hundred SEO clients, really small value client uh, contracts. We fired three hundred ninety four of them. Kept a core of like twelve key accounts uh, plus a few others, um, and rebuilt the business. Um, um, we built that business with much larger contract values, and ultimately that strategy. Um, we did a piece of brand. I got. I met another chap who changed my life and actually joined the business. Chuck on Neil Lockwood, who's now at X Design, who was from a sort of brand background, advertising background. He taught me the value of brand. Um, helped us find our positioning. We found our positioning, and we doubled turnover. You know, um, moved offices. Um, Built, built, built. You know, recognised that innovation was a key part of. You know, not quite first mover in all those areas, but we were very early as a website agency, very early as an SEO agency. We were very early into social media, so we were. I mean, I remember going to a, an award ceremony where we were the only nominee in our categories, um, and we won. Um, and not just because we were only nominee, you had to actually be good because there were other only nominees in the category who didn't win, which would have been pretty heartbreaking i think but uh so let's just let's just go back slightly a little bit there um the the that amazing meeting with the insolvency practitioner so was that actually a pre-pack then or or it was a pre-pack yeah right that was the plan i i didn't know i never heard of that phrase at that time but the that's what i learned afterwards that was going on. right okay so you've gone through pre-pack fantastic and did you have any further contact afterwards with your previous investors after that meeting? Yep. They just disappeared off the scene. Yep. Right. Okay. And you also mentioned there, um, you mentioned investing people and they, they, they put you in touch with the guy who, who eventually became your chairman. Um, tell us just, just expand a little bit, particularly for, for those who are smaller businesses about the benefit and, and what a chairman can bring to a business, particularly, um, you know, still at that time, you're still quite a young business. What, what sort of benefits can they bring? So the benefit of a chair is, is essentially, you know, what, what we refer to as gray hair, right? It's, it's the stuff which you can only learn by doing it and having lived it. Um, and if they take their role as chair seriously, you know, what you're looking for is an experienced business person Ideally, someone who takes business seriously as well is interested in the um, the theory of business, not just um, sitting on your board and being paid to be a name. You know, they're actually the sort of person, well, I would encourage you to find someone who's the sort of person who studies and reads um, different theories of management practice and performance management, you know, is, is experienced in the aspects of business that um, are important, understands uh, how to find market um, positioning and and all those sorts of things, but um, but also is you know 
steady pair of hands and has experience in the sort of less frequent side. So particularly you're looking for someone, you know, depending what your business plan or your personal aspirations are, but if you're thinking of exit, you would, it's better to find someone who's got experience of, you know, mergers and acquisitions um, processes because they are, and in, until you go through one and you get warned often, you know, a lot of people will tell you before you go through a process that strap yourself in because there's nothing quite like this. Uh, and you listen and you think, right, what's that going to be like? And it doesn't matter what you imagine it's going to be like. It's 10 times more intense than <laughs> the crazy process to go through. Um, and, you know, and I, I think universally every founder I've spoken to has a similar story. Um, you need that sort of person who's there to sort of, because the big risk of going through processes like M&A is that the management team get distracted by the process and then they take their eye off the business and the business performance metrics drop while you're in a process, which harms the deal. So you need to build, you know, you need that sort of um, voice of experience, done stuff that you haven't done, but you know one day you're going to want to do. And also, I think perhaps the most important thing is it's like giving yourself a boss, which a lot of entrepreneurs, myself included, feel very uncomfortable saying out loud because a lot of us very much work for ourselves because of the freedom of not having a boss. But um, accountability matters, you know, and you want to be the best business leader you can be. A chair holds the management team to account in a board, runs ideally a quite formal. I'm quite a big fan of quite, despite my general um, sort of uh, lack of rule following, I actually like the discipline of a well-run board. Um, the the prep, the process, the gravity, the gravitas that it has um, cascades through the business and it makes the business more serious, um, better, and makes me a better CEO. There's a couple of points you've, 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 you've highlighted there. One, the exit process, unless you've been through it, you just don't know what you're getting into. And, and we've both been through it and uh, yeah, it is a roller coaster. Um, I think the accountability bit is such a big thing. You know, the, one of the, uh, and, and again, I talk to clients about this all the time. Um, you, know, you start a business because you want to be your own boss. And it's great because you can do whatever you want. You can take the business whichever direction you want to take. But actually, you've got nobody saying, Alex, did you do this? You said you were going to do this. Have you done this? Have you done? That's the important stuff you've been, you've been. It's nice doing the sexy, exciting stuff, but you haven't done the, the important stuff you have to as a business. And that's stuff that meets your fiduciary responsibilities or allows you to pay your staff at the end of the Yeah, things like that. Pay, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, pay yeah, your staff. That's, that's quite important. <laughs> and I, w yeah. I would just say, just a little plug, a little plug for myself here. If anybody's looking for a non-exec director or a chairman, um, I think I tick all the boxes Alex has said. So if, you, if you're looking for one, happy to happy to talk to you. Um, something else you talked about 10 minutes ago, um, you sort of just dropped it in casually. You know, we got rid of 395 or 385 or 400 clients. Yeah. And, and you know, and, and uh, I, yeah, I'm not 100% it was the right decision um, still to this day. Um, but essentially what we've done is we set up all these SEO contracts and we had a um, team of people in India where we were um, basically getting SEO audits written, you know, and, and very sort of, uh, highly productized managed service uh, uh, position with the account management in the UK. Um, but the contract values we'd started off at were tiny. It was so early, like nobody was doing SEO. So trying to sell it at all was really hard. So the sort of market rates top end were like five grand a year um, that we were we were getting. But a lot of them were like 400, 800 pound a year contracts. 
And um, quite, actually quite hard to make money when you're only being paid £800 a year because uh, you're getting all these questions and queries and you're sending rank reports out and obviously people go, okay, but what about this key phrase? And just the volume of admin was quite overwhelming. So, you know, we just, we sort of, we looked at our opportunity. Um, I think what we could, probably could have done is, um, looking back, probably could have split the business more clearly between the SEO clients and the web design and creative clients we were getting. But what we actually discovered was the SEO was getting us through the door with brands that a small web design agency in Leeds wouldn't normally speak to because no one else was speaking to them about it. Um, and then the work we were getting was actually quite large, increasingly large retainers for um for their web, their digital platforms. We've now called it digital transformation, but back then it was just building a website with a back office integration, um, uh, doing quite a lot of e-commerce work. So we decided to go after the big contract stuff with the larger brands, um, and we didn't think we could do both. So we made a decision between the two and went, went with the larger contract stuff. Um, and I, you know, I can't regret it because I think possibly I could have done both, but it wouldn't, it wouldn't have been easy. Um, but the, but the decision paid off because, you know, although we had to uh, restructure, um, slim down the business initially, we were back there and then beyond within sort of 18, 20, 20 months um, with clients who we really enjoyed working with, um, doing great work, you know, transforming businesses from traditional business consumer, um, you know, door to door sales operations to digitally led lead gen businesses um driving millions of pounds worth of revenue um you know you know i remember you know taking um angling home improvements were, were big big win and we took them from something like 13 million to something like 80 million you know uh, for, through their website totally changed their business you know it, it was good work and consequently we were held in high regard by them because we were very important and we earned you know really really sizable uh, retainers which again gives you a lot of stability in your business, right? You know, you want one year, two years, your deals. Yeah, yeah. So, so once you've once you've made this switch to sort of concentrating on the bigger clients, and and again, I talk to clients a lot about the, the whole eighty twenty rule, and that's exactly what you were doing. Um, so, take us through sort of the next stage, the sort of scale stage of of Bloom. Yeah, so basically, um, through our with this brand piece we did with um, this uh, guy called Neil uh, Lockwood, we really got under the skin of what made us tick, and our and our thing was about finding these um, new areas of innovation which were going to drive uh, marketing performance through digital. Um, and we started looking at the um, commercial landscape, and it was we were heading into a period of the traditional marketing advertising agencies were buying up people like us uh to try to come we'd, we'd stolen so that well actually there was a key event which was the financial um uh, crisis in 2008 uh, and that was really good for us that doubled our turnover what was happening was uh we were on rosters of these big companies with maybe eight other agencies and they'd be their traditional advertising agency traditional creative agency pr agency below as they call below the line agency media you know above the line media agency all this stuff and what happened was their uh, fds were like right um accountability on marketing spend i want to know what the return on investment of all our channels are um, i'm cutting your marketing budget by two-thirds and you're going to reallocate the third that's left into the accountable channels and as the digital guys girls um 
that meant all the budget came to us. You know, we, we were, I've literally sat on roster after roster where we were the only retained agency by the end of that process. And uh, while they were slashing their budget, they were tripling ours. And, um, and that just fueled our growth. Um, and we went from being like the, the digital, like, like all the grown up advertising agencies you used to get in the room. And then the digital brief would come out at the end. And by the end of that sort of one, two year recession, it was the other way around, you know, and we were in, increasingly embedded, not, not just as a lead generation piece, but then it was all about, okay, how do we optimize lead flow through the conversion funnel through to a second sale? So then you're right in the business and then suddenly, you know, I'm meeting the chief exec of global companies and that wasn't happening before. You know, we were seen as strategically important and the contracts were getting really serious and, um, you know, service level agreements and all sorts of stuff were, were coming to us. And, um, and then what we also did in, so then we, we sat down and looked at that consolidation piece and we said, right, what are we going to do? We're going to sell or, uh, because it's a threat, right? All the traditional agencies are becoming digital. So our unique selling point is going to be, you know, that it's going to get crowded. It is getting crowded. So, so we looked at what's next. Um, so digital's no longer new. It's, it's now mainstream. What's coming next? So, and the conclusion of that was really clear. It was data and AI. So in 2011, 2012, we started launching our own marketing technology products. Um, so we launched two propositions. Uh, one was a uh, like a Twitter insights platform. So we had a, a good relationship with Twitter. We were with and were commissioned by their uh, head office in Boston to do research on, on their data. And we built... Um, like a market research insights platform using a really complicated maths um, across graph theory, across the Twitter firehose. That one has clients like Sky. Um, so we did the Premier League for Sky. We did, uh, and all sorts of stuff. They became a, a big account of ours. We also won the X Factor and did all their sort of social engagement um, insights with their roster. Uh, and then we also launched an AI powered uh, bid management platform for Google called uh, Decision, which, um, uh, was actually brought in through one of my clients uh, who became joined my board a chap called Dave Wood who uh, was a commercial director at eBuyer um, who were one of our key accounts so um, and that really differentiated us so we started winning again more more work um, that led to us pitching for Anytime Fitness in Australia uh, so one of our clients left the UK got a job there asked us if we'd be interested in pitching for this work um, and we went up against Ogilvy and I think DDB. I think that was it. And one local, massive proper local. big boys. And that, that yeah, uh, and that was, you know, right. Wow. Okay. Uh, and we won. Uh, did you just, just, in, just out of interest, did you have to, did you have to go out there to do the pitch? Yep. Did you put it on the expenses? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Neil, Neil had joined the business by then, but uh, Neil and the other team did it. So we sent a team out there and actually the client was good. They paid for some of it. And um, what we did was um, the reason we won it was because we had this completely proprietary insight into how we could um, affect their uh, lead generation and fill their gyms. Uh, but we also went to their gyms. We, we flew to Australia and we went and visited their gyms and it's a franchise business. So their customer is sort of really the franchise holders, but they're responsible for driving footfall into their franchisees. And um, and we just went that extra, you know, we went 
that extra yard over the global networked agencies because we really wanted the business. Um, but also, as a result of doing so, pulled some really interesting insight back into them, um, and it really informed the strategy, which ultimately is, you know, is what is what wonders the work. Uh, and that's all setting up a Sydney office. Yeah. Wow. Actually, in our clients' office. What the uh, what the issues setting up a, a a satellite office the other side of the world? Uh, so we the time difference is is a, is a thing. So uh, a lot of the work was yep. being done in the UK. Um, so that coordination between the people on the ground there and the Crave teams here caused some unusual working hours, which is not something you can just expect your team to pick up. Um, but they, they rose to it. Um, we were lucky because we won a client. We had a client, big spending client, who had provided us office space so we could go and open in their office. And then you've got a natural win to the market, right? You've got a friend on the ground, not just your own boots. So that that helped. Um, the visa situation with Australia is not straightforward. Uh, getting people out there and it got worse uh, after we'd got our people out there. They then really tightened it. Salaries out there are crazy uh, because of their visa condition. Uh, people with the sorts of skills that uh, companies like ours might want to hire can demand extremely high value, uh, salaries and uh, regular pay rises and will move if not uh, remunerated. So that was a bit of a challenge. Uh, but it, generally it went pretty well, you know, and, uh, yeah, I really enjoyed having a senior office. It was great. It was, you know, business has got to be fun as well as, you know, hard. <laughs> excellent, excellent, excellent. Now, you've, allu you've alluded to and you've mentioned um, the sale, and we'll, we'll come on to that in a minute. Um, but before we do, I need to tell our audience about the Leeds Business Podcast Fair Deal. The Leeds Business Podcast Fair Deal has two sides to it. My side of it is I bring you every week brilliant, inspiring, fascinating guests for free, like Alex. Uh, you, listener, have uh, your side of the deal has uh, two parts to it. Number one, you have to uh, recommend this podcast to one person, one person only, who you feel will get benefit from it. And part two of the fair deal for you is you have to write uh, a review, either uh, on the Apple Podcasts app or at podchaser.com or give us a, a thumbs up review or five star review, please, at Spotify. And if you're watching on YouTube, give us a thumbs up uh, review. If you're on YouTube, Alex, give everyone on YouTube a wave. <laughs> There you go. Alex has given you a wave on YouTube. So that's the Leeds Business Podcast Fair Deal. I will have to leave it there. There's so much brilliant stuff that Alex covers in this interview, we've had to split it into two episodes. Part two, next week, covers the sale of Bloom, the aftermath of the deal. Spoiler alert, it didn't go to plan. And the learnings that you can all take from that. He talks about the launch of Data City and how the ADHD that he mentioned earlier influenced the whole of his career. Plus, there's a great how-to. To ensure you don't miss it, subscribe on your podcast player now. And we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to this episode. I hope you found it interesting, inspiring, and of use. To make sure you don't miss out on any future episodes, please subscribe to the show. Go on, do it now. Do it now before you go off and do something else. Thank you. Much appreciated. Oh, and don't forget our fair deal. See you next week.